2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12 month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm reluctant to do this to you, and I don't want you to think I'm being That's mean okay. to you. I know that if I don't do this, I am going to get email after email from the Simsism Brigade what did I did I say? out there.
0: Simsisms, hemming and humming,
3: like the other team's kind of like hemming and humming, and I don't know and all that. It's hemming uh, he- and hawing Yeah, right. Hemming, hemming and hawing. Yeah, no, I, kn- and I knew I, I was close. I knew I didn't come out quite right. Put <laughs> it on know. my tabs. Put it origin, on my tab. Yeah.
0: Simsisms.
2: That was great fun yesterday, and I get emails now from people who are ready to email me that I missed it, but then they can tell from my facial expression yeah, you got it. that I'm not going to let it go. The question is, and I have to balance this every time, depending upon how much longer you talk, is it still relevant to swing back? Right. and Usually it is. <laughs> yeah. Usually it is. Well, that's By the way how
3: I know, is I can see your face and I go, uh-oh, I said something. <laughs>
2: Hemming and hawing according to our friends at Merriam-Webster to stop often and change what one is saying during speech because one is not sure of what to say or because one is trying to avoid saying something. I think the name of the simsism book should be Hemming and Humming given that. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <given> that explanation. <laughs> and and the origin because I thought it had something to do with a boat to hem that is an imitative word of throat-clearing, like ahem, and the word ha is related to the term ha-ha, which references a haughty British accent. Hello, hello, Manchester. Manchester. So, yes. So there we are. I love it. We learned something new, and it's not barely 8 o'clock Eastern time on this Thursday morning. We learned some things yesterday about NFL rule changes, and I, uh, let me just peel back a little bit my thought process. I saw there was an item at NFL.com about the possibility of making roughing the pass or subject to replay review. We'll talk about that coming up. Yeah. At the very bottom of the article, just kind of jammed in as an, oh, by the way, is that owners are going to consider making overtime true sudden death again. And I was like, whoa, folks at NFL.com, that is not an inconsequential pin the tail on the donkey's foot type of a throwaway at the bottom of an article. That's a big deal. So I wrote something about it, and after writing something about that, this possibility of reverting to sudden death, I got some information about what really is being proposed. It's not pre-2010, flip a coin, whoever calls it right or wrong, somebody gets the ball first, and they have an opportunity get a couple of first downs, trot out a field goal kicker who can make a 55-yarder, and you'll walk off into the sunset. The Baltimore Ravens, Chris, are proposing something that I had never heard of before called spot and choose. And it's a very simple process. People are overcomplicating. It's very simple. One team to start overtime picks where the drive is going to begin. The other team picks... In response to where the drive is going to begin, who plays offense, who plays defense. So, for example, so there's like it's almost a little
3: bit of a gambling to go like, where do we think we could put the ball and they'll give us the ball, or you know, I, I, okay, sorry, go ahead, keep going.
2: You know, you want you want to put them in the toughest spot. Yeah, you want to pick the spot that has them say, oh crap, what do we do? And you know, the thinking is the way the analytics people have run this, the thirteen is going to be kind of the break-even point. That that's where you really don't know what to do. If it's the 12, well, we'll play defense. If it's the 14, we'll take the ball. The 13 is going to be where, you know, a lot of factors are going to come into it. How do you feel about your offense? How do you feel about your defense? How do you feel about your kicker? How do you feel about the weather? It really takes something that is reduced to heads or tails currently to start overtime and turns it into a complicated, multi-leveled strategic exercise, which is still very simple at the end of the day. But to be the one who has to decide, first, what yard line, second, offense or defense, that that is going to... I don't know. I, I understand the fairness of it. I don't know that I'd want that burden
3: if I was an NFL coach. It's, well, all right. So can I just say this first off, just right before I dive into this one? I wouldn't be... Oppose the sudden death overtime a little bit. I will not, just to say that again, all right? Just because old school flip the coin, I, I wouldn't be if that's because what you're saying was originally written in the article and all of that. Like, I wouldn't be. No, I think like some of these games are dragging on too long. I think some of the common fan, like not football junkies like you and me, but I think some of them are like, is this game ever going to end? Are we we're going to play five quarters of football? And I think there was a little too much of that this year. So I'll just say that. But now getting into this idea, I really like it. I mean, I'm I really like the aspects of it. Now, is it going to be sudden death within this too? Are they saying that? And two proposals. Okay, two proposals. Go ahead, and finish, and I'll tell you what what the proposals are as it relates to how to resolve. Yeah, the game. because it, you know, I I like the idea of it because. I think you're going to have different scenarios. Oh, wait, this week we're playing this team. So maybe if we get into that situation, all right, their offense isn't as great and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we'll give them the ball at the 20 and we'll take our chances. Oh, now it's this week. It's Rogers or Brady or Mahomes. Well, no, we're not going to give them the ball at the 20. So let's say... Let's start at the 8-yard line or 10-yard line. Do they have the guts to go, okay, so we still have Patrick Mahomes and we'll take the ball at the 8- or 10-yard line? You know, I don't know. That's, that's where it's really cool. So I can get behind this. There, there's a lot of aspects here that I think is intriguing. There's some gamesmanship, and there's some true thinking about, wait, who am I playing this week, and how can I apply this rule and this change to, to this particular matchup?
2: And I hope if it happens, it becomes a true organic process every time you do it to analyze it, not just a default. One team says the 13, and the other team says I'll take the ball, right? right. I, I hope that there is some of that that daring, like, okay, uh, you got Patrick Mahomes. We're going to put it on the eight. And then the Chiefs say, eh, you take the ball. You go ahead. You try. Right. You try to score from the eight. That, right. That's the thing. It's like – That's what I mean, yeah. You, you're, you're trying to put him in a corner – and they can turn the tables right. in one fell swoop. I, I love it. I, and the problem is there isn't enough time between the end of regulation and the start of overtime to fully digest why they're doing it. I think they'd need another minute or two so the, the broadcasters can say, well, this may be why they're doing what they're doing. I I just I love that aspect of I it. I do too. Um, and, and, and the two proposals, both hinging on spot and shoes, one would be true sudden death. With a 10 minute maximum period in the regular season. Obviously, postseason, they'd have to keep going. Right. There's a proposal that involves spot and choose, and I'm told that this is one that Patriots coach Bill Belichick likes. It's another seven and a half minutes. That's it. Seven and a half minutes of football where it ends when it ends at the seven and a half minutes. If it's still tied, it's a tie. Whoever's ahead wins. No sudden death element to it. I think that's got less of a chance of proceeding because one of the reasons the NFL, when the rule was changed in 2010, to give the team that kicks off a chance to match a field goal but not a touchdown, the NFL still wanted sudden death to be in overtime. The touchdown preserves sudden death. So no one walks out of the room because the the game can end on any given play. Right. So I think if they do it, it's going to be a sudden death format, not a let's play another seven and a half minutes type of a deal.
3: Well, definitely. And, you know, I, you know, I guess the thing I think about that too is, you you know, you play certain teams, you know, you play the Baltimore Ravens or uh, the 49ers or teams like that who can run the football. You know, they could very easily go down the field, and it could be a six-and-a-half-minute drive. That's not an issue. And then you just go, well, now the other team, you know, it's, it's, yeah, okay, they got a chance, but it's it's the two-minute drill, and they got to figure that out. I like the sudden-death aspect of it. I really do. I do. I never had a problem with it, you know, as you know, the first time around and how the rules were applied. Uh, I've always taken that stance. I mean, the defense has got million-dollar players too, and they got they got to they got to make some plays here. It can't always be like, oh, our offense has to get the ball. That's how I've always felt. I know you're a little different there. I know um, the but rules are skewed toward the offense. They are. That's it's that is a problem. It's, the is the problem. Are better than ever. They they are they are. But but I think within this new proposal, you know, it does balance the field a little bit. You know, from that aspect, where okay, we're. You know, oh okay, well, we're picking the eight yard line and we're gonna see if you can go down there and can you can you get in position to make a field goal? It's still gonna take a good drive to get you in a field goal position, let alone score a touchdown and do all of that as well. I'd be in favor of that. I do think that just as a pure consumer standpoint and if we wanna play more games on more nights and all these things like this. We can't have football games that go for four-and-a-half and five hours. Like We can't. They don't
2: go for four-and-a-half and a half well, for five four hours. Well, hours. They
3: don't. Okay, four they hours. They don't
2: go for four hours. What are they, they 345? Three-and-a-half, three-and-a-half when they go to
3: overtime. Mike, we had so many games this year where we did Sunday football, and the one game at 1 o'clock was still going on in the second quarter of the 425 games. We we had plenty of those. It's too much. It's too long. It's Me and well, you will watch it. We like it. But it's not going to keep – I don't think it's good for the overall sport to have those games drag on that way.
2: Two things. First of all, yeah. back to the whole spot and choose yeah. sudden death versus a seven-and-a-half-minute period. You, you said something that sparked an idea. Right. Because of the possibility, if it's a seven-and-a-half-minute period and, – and, again, I don't like that as much as I like sudden death. But yeah. if it would be a seven-and-a-half-minute period, you, you would be tempted, I think, in picking the spot to go closer to the 50
3: so you'll have time to respond to whatever Ooh, they do. That you're right. Right? Right. You're right. You might go, "Okay, you know, we like we like our defense, whatever. You're right." And you just go, "Hey, we can't stop them today or we can't really stop them." You might go, "We'll give you the ball at the 40 so you can go down there and score quick so at least we got a chance." You know, if you had a bad defense and a, and a guy like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Rogers or somebody like that, you might do that. You're right. That is a de- an aspect I really didn't think kind of an unintended qu- consequence there. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. And that's what's cool about the rule all in general. It's just there's a lot of different avenues to, to think about this if it were to go that way to the seven and a half minute period. And the
2: beauty of it is no matter what you pick, you put all that thought into it, you run the numbers, you press the button because that's the thing. All the thought will be in advance and it'll all be variables and somebody's going to whisper into the coach's ear what the ideal yard line is. Right. There's always the chance that the other team is going to say, nah, you take it. <laughs>
3: and that's what I love that's, about it. That's awesome, I
2: know. You, you never know how they're going to react until they react. So, uh, again, it's, it's more, I think, involvement of numbers and analytics and advance and who's got the best formulas. Cause that's the thing. Everybody's got an analytics department. They don't have the same formulas. Who's got the best formulas. Who's taking the right variables into account the best way. Yeah. And how does it manifest itself on game day? The other point, Chris, is it relates to shorter games, right? And th- there's, there's only so much you can control about how long it's going to physically take to play 60 minutes of football. Some games it's going to take longer. Some games is going to take less, but it's still 60 minutes of football exposure to the players. Sure. And remember, they moved overtime several years ago from 15 minutes to 10 minutes because I think it was a Buccaneers game where they they played almost a full 75 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah. And then they had to turn around and play on Thursday, Thursday night. Game, I think it was right. an overtime game against the Raiders. Yeah, right. Derek Carr hit the touchdown the down limit. the middle. Right. Yeah. I almost went the full limit, right. and then Thursday night, Buccaneers and the Falcons got together. So I think they changed it because that was a time when Thursday night football was under assault by people saying it's not safe, R- Richard Sherman calling it a poop fest. Why are they doing this? So I, my first thought when I saw that there was a potential return of sudden death overtime is they're going to go ahead and take care of the issue of the game being too long, yeah. shrink the game that way, so we can have – Windows on Tuesday and Wednesday because you have a team play on Wednesday, then they'll play the following Tuesday, then they'll play the following Monday. You're gonna have more six day breaks between games. I like maybe how some you're five talking. Five day breaks mm. between games. So one way to one way to make that more fair and reduce the wear and tear on the players. Is to say, hey, we're doing what we can to shorten overtime.
3: Uh, that's a really good aspect, Mike. It's something I didn't. I mean, first of all, I like what you're saying. Talk dirty to me? Are you talking football oh, and, and Tuesday and Wednesday Just night? Pace. Ooh, me like you. <laughs> 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 I mean that. I I, I hope or something. I hope that is <laughs> the the what happens. I mean, first off, you know, we talked about it a lot this year. The one good thing about COVID is we we proved we can play football on every night of the week and still figure out a schedule and. You know, so what if it's like you said, Sunday to Thursday or, you know, Monday to or Tuesday to Sunday or whatever you can, whatever combination you want to do. I would love that. Uh, But from that aspect too, it does make sense. Yeah. If you're going to start to try to play different nights and different games and guys are going to have, you know, more short weeks involved in their season, you do got to protect them a little bit. You know, it's a brutal sport. I was just a wimpy quarterback and man, there was just a whole lot of games again, where you know, I I got hit a lot on a Sunday afternoon, and I didn't really start to feel good until Thursday morning. You know, Wednesday, you'd go out for practice and go, damn, I'm still sore. My right, my right, you know, thigh and my shoulder and whatever, I landed on a bunch. I'm sore as hell here. I got to warm up for 30 minutes before practice starts just to get going. And so, uh, to be fair, and to your point, I think that is something they have to take into account if they do want to, you know, go down this road.
2: And here's where this is all heading. I don't know how much we've talked about this on this show in the past, but when you have more windows, and and I've, I've figured out you can have four windows on Sunday if you include the early morning game, East Coast time, way early morning, West Coast time, the London game. You can have four Sunday windows, two Monday windows, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's nine windows. Wow. In weeks where, what, sometimes it's, 13, 14 games, depending upon the number of buys. And the more games that are being played on a standalone basis, the more people can congregate around that one game. Yeah. And no matter who's playing, no matter how exciting or boring the game is, the opportunities to make bets on a a one-play-at-a-time basis. Oh, yeah. That is where the big money is going to be. And the challenge is something they call the latency issue, the lag between what they're picking up in the cameras at the game site, right. and how long it takes to get to your house. And if you have TV, it's a good 30 seconds between when the play starts and when you see it start at home. But, Chris, think about this. What are we doing right now? Yeah, I'm sitting in West Virginia. You're sitting in Connecticut. There is no delay whatsoever between what I'm saying and what you're saying. The technology is there. When we get on Zoom now, there's no delay. Right. It's straight on, real-time, No lag, no latency, so the technology's there. The question is getting it into all the TVs, getting it into all the homes, so when you turn on the TV, what you're seeing is exactly what's happening, so when the play ends and the play clock starts, you got 40 seconds to lock in whatever your choice is for the next play. Once they have that proliferated, once there's 35, 40 states with legalized gambling, that's when I think we'll see seven, eight, nine windows a week, and that's when I think we'll see... The NFL find a way to go back to Congress and say, hey, you know that broadcast antitrust exemption that says we can't play games on TV Fridays and Saturdays from Labor Day until mid-December? Let's do something about that so we can have Friday nights and Saturday nights and Saturday afternoons. And it may, they may not be able to get it done. I hope they don't. But but, but they, they may say, let's play seven days a week, not just five.
3: Uh, I mean, that, that I would not like them to do that. You know, and as much as, yeah, listen, yeah, you know, we're we're the same. We, we're junkies. We want to watch it all. I mean, we, listen, it was funny this year when we had some of those Monday, Tuesday games this year, and I think we even had one on a Wednesday, right, where it was like. Steelers-Ravens. Yeah. When the weeks were normal, we were like, what? This is boring. What am I supposed to do on a Tuesday night? You, you became addicted to it. I, I loved it. Um, But I will say this. When it comes to Friday and Saturday night, like, like let's keep. You know the sanctity of football a little bit. Let's let's keep it to the communities in high school football. I don't want to take away from that. That's where the love of the sport starts. So I would not like to see that aspect. Hey, for a young kid, you know, towns, communities, it's special to go. Hey, let's go watch. You know, this good high school game tonight. And for those kids to feel that atmosphere and all of that, I don't want that ruined or taken taken away because you know, oh now. You know Mahomes and Rogers is on on a Friday night, and I, I don't want to go watch the high school game because I can't miss this you no know, that I wouldn't like that, and the same goes for college football. I do think we got to be careful of that a little and let them have their window, and it's part of you know our culture as well, too big of a part of our culture. So I love football every night of the week, I just don't want to see them infringe on Friday and Saturday night.
2: I'm sure they'll think about it, but I agree with you. At the end of the day, it's not the right thing to do, either from Congress's perspective or from the NFL's perspective. And speaking of Tuesday and Wednesday football, I've said last year and the year before, when spring football leagues, AAF in 2019, XFL in 2020, XFL supposedly coming back next year, I don't like spring football. I'm not interested. In, I'm not interested in football when it's not football season. Play the games on Tuesday and Wednesday nights in season, and I think that's. I think the NFL realizes, you know what. If we don't start putting pro football games on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, somebody else may. Right, right. And we better go ahead and and claim that turf and mark that territory oh. now. And, and when I say now, I don't mean right now. It takes a few years for these things yeah. to get in motion. But I, I just think that my first cynical, grassy knoll thought when I saw that they're talking about true sudden-death overtime is shorten the games to make it easier to justify – five days, six days between games on a regular basis.
3: Yeah, I I hear you there. And um, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else off of that. Um, But I totally forgot my train of thought. Uh, What the heck was I about to say?
2: Well, if you think of it, just tell me.
3: Let's move on
2: to the next rule proposal. And this is the one that I mentioned earlier. This was the headline at NFL.com. The league is going to consider making roughing the passer subject to replay review, and my first reaction to that was, mm. "Have we already forgotten mm. the disaster that was pass interference being subject to replay review?" Because Chris, I can see it now. I can, I can hear Al Riveron explaining that when we reviewed the available video, there was clear and obvious evidence of a forcible blow to the head of the court. You know, th- things that that we're going to say, "Well, wait a minute." How, but but when you break it down frame by frame, because roughing the passer is so nebulous, there's so many different ways you can commit roughing the passer. Yeah, right. And you're you're going to slam the brakes on the game. Think about this after every interception. They're going to have to look and see was they roughing the passer because it's all automatic review after a turnover. Every interception, was there roughing the passer? There's 10 different ways, I think. To, to commit roughing the passer. So you got to scan the replay angles for that and see if there's any evidence, clear and obvious evidence, of a violation of the rule. I, I just I don't like it because they proved to us two years ago they don't know how to properly handle replay review when there's any type of judgment involved in the ruling on the field.
3: Yeah, n- no doubt. I, I don't want to see it. You know, first off, roughing the passer has just gone, it, it's annoying. I mean, come on. I, I, it's, it's, it's too nice right now. It's still football. I mean, we're getting into the point here where it's like, well, his pinky finger touched his right temple and we got to throw a penalty. And then we see games like this where you're like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes got his head ripped off twice and Adama Kansu hit him with a right hook to his face and it didn't get called. You know, uh, I I don't trust it. You're right. I don't trust it. I don't want to see it be reviewed. You know, we've already gone too far, I think, with protecting the quarterback, in my opinion. We have. Hey, I like the low hit thing and all of that, but there is too many variables, and it is going to be too much on just like one guy to make a, a call. And we've seen two where we're sitting there watching Sunday football where, you know, roughing the passer's called. And, okay, like, yeah, by the letter of the law, that's roughing the passer, but. You know, this is a 290-pound guy who was running as fast as he can, and now a 315-pound guy pushed him really hard, and we get roughing the passer out of that. You know, I, I don't like that aspect of it at all, and I don't want to see that become a replay review and become open up another can of worms and have all those issues along with it.
2: It wasn't completely fleshed out in the article. I assume that the door swings both ways where if it wasn't called on the field, it can be called via replay review. And the flip side is if it is called on the field, it can be picked up via replay uh, review. I mean, if it was only one way. Yeah, that would be a little better. Was, well, but here's the problem. Right. If the rule is that it can it can be subject to replay review if it's called and they can look at it and pick up the flag, then what the... the, the, the the default is going to be throw the flag. They'll clean it up on replay review. I just think the door has to swing both ways. Yeah, so you're right. That's a good sense. point. I don't like it anyway. I mean, think about it. The forcible blow to the head. When you see it at full speed, it looks one way. When you break it down yeah. frame by frame, right. it's going to look a different way. Right. That's what happened with pass interference. So I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I agree with you. I, I, now, you still have to protect the quarterback. Yeah, right. understand. Yeah. I understand you gave your spleen to the profession so you you, you know well you, I just grew up may, in an era feel-
3: where yeah I'm a little different and the screw the hell with me I don't care you know but I'm I just, just still believe I, in I, I, but but no you're right I mean I still I still believe in like defensive intimidation you know what I mean there, there's still that aspect of it and we've we've lost that a little you know like with even the protect- we've lost it a lot a no, lot not a you're right thank you a lot we've lost it a lot you know what I mean we've literally have gotten to the point where quarterbacks could just go Well, I'm going to throw it down the middle. I know it's a little tight here, but, man, you know, he'll catch it or he'll get crushed and we'll get a free 15 yards. Oh, he got a concussion? So what? We got 15 yards. I made a horrible decision. First down. I mean, that to me is an issue with the game right now, and I don't like that. That book
2: I mentioned the other day, last 20 years in the NFL, 100-plus essays, one of the topics is the – the reaction to the October 17, 2010 bang bang, bang of bang bang plays where three helmet to helmet hits happened and everything kind of stopped in its tracks. And what are we going to do about defenseless receivers? That was the argument that Mike Tomlin made at the time behind closed doors. I don't want to I don't want to give away too much of the stuff I'm gonna have in the book. Yeah. Tomlin was pissed, sorry, right. London, because we play with intimidation. We play rough and tumble violent football this rule that protects defenseless receivers against blows to the head and neck area hurts us more than it hurts anyone else. He eventually came around. Yeah. Eventually came around. Yeah. But as of 2010, he was livid about this. So, you know, and, and another reason for the NFL to drop games onto Tuesdays and Wednesdays, they, they don't need to just fear the XFL or the AAF or some other spring league realizing we're better off playing Tuesdays and Wednesdays. The thing the NFL needs to fear more than anything else is someone saying instead of dropping five billion on an NFL team. Yeah. Drop one billion on a league that plays football under the rules. And I'm not saying I advocate this. Yeah. I'm just I got saying you. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Someone who drops a billion dollars to develop a football league that plays with the rules from the eighties and the nineties. Right. Because no one can say they don't know the risks now. Can you imagine the people who would flock to watch games that were played like, and if you just pull up any any game yeah. on YouTube from the 80s or 90s, right, the difference in the level of violence is jarring. Yes, and I think the NFL needs to be concerned about that. You push it too far, somebody's going to say we're going to we're going to make an old school football league or whatever they call it. And we're going to play football the way it used to be played. And people are going to be upset about that. Is it morally proper? Those are all fair questions. But you know what? Football players will sign up to play it in a heartbeat.
3: Yeah. And they'd still sign up in a heartbeat right now. Like right now in the NFL if they would change it. You know, I'm all for – I don't want to see forcible blows to the head or launching to the head and all that. Let's protect that. But if a wide receiver goes over the middle and the dumb quarterback throws the ball – and okay, the receiver didn't have two steps to catch the ball and do all that. Like, that crap has got to go. It's got to go. I don't care. You know, yeah, sorry. The receiver's got to look at his coach, I mean, his quarterback, and go, what the hell are you doing? Why are you putting me out there in the middle to get crushed by Fred Warner? And as long as that hits clean and not to the head, I don't care. That's part of playing football. It is. And it's taken away to Mike Tomlin's point because hey, it's guys like him that are at the biggest disadvantage with a rule like this. He has a, he's a defensive coach. He has a keen eye for talented linebackers and safeties. He's been around the Derrick Brooks and the Ryan Shaziers, and they just drafted a Devin Bush, and he had a Troy Polamalu. He has a keen eye for that talent and that type of player, let alone he coaches his team to be aggressive and the most physical team on the field too, and he gets totally screwed over by that. And that's not fair. And that's where I, I don't like it. And I, I wish they would take that that rule away. Protect the head. No launching at the head or anything like that. But, you know, again, your quarterback throws the ball down the middle and it's a stupid decision? I, I don't know. You know they got to find some way to, to, to make that even. It, right now, the quarterback – and the offense are being allowed to make bad decisions, and they're getting rewarded for it. And that's my biggest problem in the sport right now. It's one of the, my, my biggest pet peeves.
2: All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Okay. We've got plenty more PFT Live still to come. We'll be back with that right after this.
1: Around any corner.
2: All right, more proposals coming next month when the NFL has a virtual annual meeting. Second straight year, they won't be doing it in person because of the pandemic. One of the proposals, and this comes from the Buffalo Bills, something that I know coaches with other teams believe in: delaying any hiring until after the Super Bowl, barring interviews until after the conference championship games, and and. and I've seen Judy Batista of NFL media a couple of times now quote an owner who says that that would be unenforceable. There's a difference between unenforceable and unwilling to enforce. I think this is a rule that the NFL would be unwilling to enforce because they know that plenty of people would break it. And the NFL, in my view, generally is averse to letting the world know we got a bunch of cheaters in here. So no rule is unenforceable if you're committed to enforcing it, they're not committed to enforcing it. That's what makes it unenforceable.
3: No, you're right. And and listen, it's a hard one to enforce. I mean, it just, as we know, it really is. Oh, Hey, you know, we're, we were talking about this player and you know, this coach that's on your staff with the owner and now, Oh, now it comes up to possible hires that could happen down the, down the road. I just think it would be really hard. Uh, I wish but they... if you still can't
2: hire the guy until after the Super Bowl, yeah.
3: if you are prohibited from signing the contract until
2: after the Super Bowl, yes. right, you it can say whatever help. you want. That, that's right. It'll because still help. Because you know help. what? The morning after the Super Bowl, there's a chance yes. that Cal McNair says, why are we hiring David Culley? We haven't interviewed Byron Leftwich. Did you see what the Buccaneers did yesterday offensively? It, exactly right. Did you see right. what they did defensively? Right. Why? Well, let's bring in Todd Bowles. So even even if you think you know what you're going to do, you still have a chance because the contract hasn't been signed to say we're going in a different direction because we're we're smitten by this candidate based upon what we saw in the biggest stage in football.
3: Right. Minds can be swayed right to see oh divisional weekend, championship weekend, Super Bowl like, whoa. You know, I've never really watched this team and got a chance to sit down and watch them all all year in a single game or whatever. And wow, it was three or four games in a row where you're right. Like, I know this guy was on the radar, but maybe we need to do a little more due diligence and dive into this guy and, and do that. I do think it, I I think there's merit. I would like to see it done. I would. I, it is unfair. Regardless, it is unfair. The interviews themselves might not be as impressive from some of those guys too who are coaching a team like we talked about this year with Eric Bieniemy. you know I think Eric Bieniemy is he's a football coach he wasn't going to like sell the Chiefs offense and the team down the river just to go like oh screw it I'm going to have the most impressive interview ever I'm not even going to think about the game this week or my game plan and do that stuff that's not in the DNA of a lot of these coaches it's not and it makes it kind of you know, almost unfair to those organizations that they have to deal with that anyways. So I'd be all for it. And I think that's something that should happen.
2: As someone explained it to me this year during the hiring cycle, when the offensive coordinator who is getting ready for a playoff game and just spent the day getting the game, or presumably spent the day getting the game plan ready, when that person goes home at night to spouse or significant other the first question isn't, hey, how's the game planning yeah, going right. for this weekend? Right. The first question is, have you heard anything Right. about Are you going to get that, that job that gives job? us life-changing money? When's, <laughs> yeah. when's, the, when's the interview? When's right. the interview again? Are you ready for the interview? Mm, tonight, you know what? If I was you, I'd prepare for the interview. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know what you're doing with your offensive game plan. You got this far. Very real. I'd prepare for the interview instead. So if you can't have interviews then you you avoid that conflict of interest it is an unavoidable and irreconcilable conflict of interest for the assistant coach who on one hand should be spending every waking moment getting his his team ready for the next game and on the other hand thinking i i got to put my best fo- foot forward in these interviews you know maybe that's why there's this this thing that rattles around the NFL that Eric Bandamy doesn't do well in his interviews. Maybe he won't
3: prioritize himself. I don't think he will. Right. I don't think he will. I don't. I mean, everything I hear or know about the guy, I mean, he's a real football coach. He's just not in. He's not going to do that. And I think there's a lot of them that are like that, where it's just like, as we talk about, there's a lot of, you know, uh, army soldier aspect of football, right? And, and it's just, you know, a man's man's game and I'm here doing this job and, Man, I've worked hard, and I don't want to let these guys down in the locker room, and I don't want to let my fellow coaches down and doing all that. And I think it's very hard to put your best foot forward in that scenario uh, when you're wired the way a lot of these coaches are. So I I want this changed. I would like it, and I think it's worth it because of what you said. If it can change one or two hirings a year, to me that's worth it, and uh, I'm I'm all for it.
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I like it, and I, I don't like the fact that I don't want to you know I, I I just don't like the fact that owners are using reporters who work for the league to throw water on this. You know I, that that doesn't sit well with me because I think it's the right thing to do, and I think that that the NFL should be committed to enforcing its rules. And this idea of oh oh we can't afford bull crap you can enforce it if you want to enforce it and the commissioner tells all the teams this is how it's going to be and anybody who steps out of line go talk to the 2012 new orleans saints about what the consequences are going to be Mm -hmm. all right the and and chris's favorite rule i think we name this after you the chris sims onside kick no my favorite rule is
3: the ball that gets fumbled into the end zone into north korea that's my favorite (laughs) um
2: the the do you, do, you know, do you know once upon a time, and we may have talked about this before, yeah. I had forgotten it if I knew about it. There was a time in football early on, if you threw an incomplete pass that landed in the other team's end zone, they got the ball at the 20. I did not know that. Incomplete pass now that's that crazy. lands in the end zone. Right. The other team gets the ball at the 20. What, what? That's, how, that's how sacred that's how this goes to your argument. That's how sacred the end zone is. it is. is there, te- it's the only thing that's ultra careful yes, with the ball.
3: But that's crazy. What like what years are we talking about? I really didn't know that. You know me. The twenty is it the twenty? Yeah, long
2: time. To- like yeah, yeah, long yeah, like yeah. long long right time. when the but forward pass I was, was just
3: being involved. Right, right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Marshall Goldberg. Hey. At once. Yep. Thanks. So
3: the fourth and 15th um, thing. Yeah, What do you think? The, you think he's got a chance? The
2: Eagles have once again proposed it. I, my understanding is, and and again, this is part of the book research I was doing because there's a belief eventually it's going to happen, whether it's this year, next year, the year after. And this is all driven by the fact that the current configuration of the onside kick, which has been made far safer. There was a time 20 years ago. Remember when they you used to get a mulligan? like if you kick the first one out yeah. of bounds you got right. to do it again right. if you had illegal touching you got to do it again they engineered that out of the game bill cower i'm told was a huge opponent of that he called the onside kick a courage drill we've heard chris collinsworth talk on sunday night football about how much he hated that when he was playing that that was car it was it oh. was a car pileup yes. right? right all the bodies slamming together to try to go get the football crazy so so now they've made it safer along with the normal kickoff return, the onside kick return safer, but the problem is it's not effective. So the 4th and fifteen play is a way to allow the team that is behind by more than one score to stay alive, and that's what the league wants. Give the team that's trailing by more than one score a chance to stay in the game, and and that's why I think it's inevitable that it happens.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't deny that it won't happen. I, I think we're going that way. I mean, the onside kick, it, it, the numbers are you know so low as far as in favor of the kicking team recovering it now. There almost is no chance. I don't know if there's any way they could you know tweak that to a degree, You know, not allow some of those things that we talked about where you can't send like four guys out to just crush other people and then do that. Could they do that? Yes, I would love to see that more than the fourth and fifteen. Maybe I want fourth and twenty if this is going to happen. Maybe I I don't. I I I still. What I worry about is fourth and fifteen in a no like like there's nothing to lose situation, and you got the Mahomes and the Josh Allens of the world and one of those quarterbacks. I think that's that's swayed. And a huge advantage to that team as compared to teams that might not have that quarterback and are built on running game and doing stuff like that. And I know what you're going to say, and you go, "Well, you better get a quarterback that can do it." I know, I know you, but but that's where I just I I worry about that rule a little bit. You know,
2: I, I, this is not something that my brain is capable of processing in real time, but I'm having like flashes of neurons telling me. There's a way to do this onside kick alternative, mm-hmm. and make it like the spot and choose. There's some. There's some way to make it. There's some way to come up with something that creates a similar. You pick something, and the other team decides something. You know, to, I, I don't know, but the current configuration for the onside kick doesn't work. Yeah. They need something else, yeah. and I agree with you. Fourth and 15. And then what do you do? you got to defend the whole field. If you're defending Patrick Mahomes, it's not just the first down that's what I mean. line that you're getting to preserve uh, possession. You go over the top all the way to the end and zone. And he doesn't you care if he throws a- an
3: interception or anything. Exactly. So you, there's nothing to lose. And that's, to me, such a great advantage for the offense in that situation that I do think the teams with that quarterback are going to have more success than what the numbers bear out across the league. And that's going to be a huge— What about this? Yeah.
2: What about this? Yeah. One play from the five yard line after the extra point or two point conversion. One play from the five to determine whether or not you get possession at your own twenty-five.
3: One play at the five yard line, like going in. If you or what do you
2: and if you convert it, yeah. One play from the five.
3: Okay. After the after the point after. Right. Whether
2: it's one or two, offense stays on the field, five yard line throw the ball into the end zone, run it in, whatever. If you get over the line, you get to keep possession from your own 25 or 30 or 35, whatever number they say, and you get it first and 10. That, so that takes away the aspect of instead of trying to gain 15 yards, I'm I'm trying to, you know, I'm going to throw it over the top and I'm going to score a touchdown. You're right. It and, makes it and, harder
3: and, to throw. That 5-yard yeah. line is a hard place to score a touchdown. It is, because you know there is the no deep. Th- Listen, I, I I I like where your heads at there. I don't think that's a crazy idea. That's not horrible. But I, uh, like I said, I really do, I really like that aspect. It's actually not a bad idea. I think what it would I, I just know this year watching football, I saw Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes convert so many third and 15s and third and 20s and I, I know we've said this on Sundays where we almost go I, I, you almost expect Patrick Mahomes to pick up third and 15s and Josh Allen. Because it's just, they're going to buy time, and we know now they're going to cut it loose and, and do something like that, let alone if there's nothing to lose and they're going to lose the game already, and who cares if you throw an interception? Uh, that will really sway into, if you have one of those special quarterbacks, I mean, they're never going to be dead, and that's where it could be uh, interesting.
2: All right, we're way, way over. Speaking of quarterbacks, the draft today, quarterbacks most likely to be starting for a new team come week one. We'll do that next here on Pro Football Talk Live. Baker Mayfield. Claims that he and his wife saw a UFO drop straight out of the sky on our way home from dinner. We stopped and looked at each other and asked if either of us saw it. Very bright ball of light going straight down out of the sky towards Lake Travis. Anybody else witness this? Aaron Rodgers claimed to have seen a UFO in New Jersey back in 2016. I, and the, the government has been, like they've been releasing, releasing all sorts stuff, of information. Right? I know. It's, it's, it's real and nobody cares. Like We've been waiting all these years right. for, for the government to admit it. Like, you're lying, you're lying,
3: and now they're telling the truth and we're like, okay. I, you're really right. I mean, it is. There's, there's, they've released it. You've seen the videos too, right? I mean, I don't know if that was a shooting yeah. star out there. Lake Travis is beautiful. I mean, it, Baker Mayfield, he can't hide money. He's living good out there. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'm a believer hey. in it. And I told you during the year this year, I saw – do you remember when I, I – saw something crazy one night at, around me. I don't know if it was some billionaire here Mushroom. in the Greenwich area, which there's billionaires growing on trees around here. Okay. Mushroom. Where – I don't know what it was not that. But I saw, like, a gigantic <laughs> drone in the air. I've, I've told you this. It was – it was literally like a gigantic drone with huge, like, circular things on the side. So I know we're going to get to the draft, but damn, you got me on UFOs and sorry. Hey,
2: it is the height of human arrogance to think that in this entire universe, we are it. Yeah. That, that is exactly the way we would think. Of course. Exactly. All right. Ask me a trivia question real quick. Now, just to get to it. Uh, you get the first pick. Uh, quarterback starting for a different team in week one because we're way over. Go I'm going to go
3: Sam Darnold right off the bat. Okay, I'm gonna go Sam Darnold because I like what I just said. I mean, all, everything we've talked about with the draft, everything there. I, I, mean, I'm, I'm in love with Zach Wilson. I don't know how the Jets feel about it or whatever, but I'm gonna play that they, they take Zach Wilson and trade Sam Darnold to somebody. Uh, so I'm gonna go Sam Darnold.
2: Yeah, um, hmm, man, I, I, it's week one. I would say Deshaun Watson. But week one, I don't know that this is going to – I'm still going to say Deshaun Watson. I'm still going to say – they're going to realize. Wisdom is going to show up. It may take a little while, but I think before – because they're going to need a quarterback. If he's going to skip games, they're going to have to have another plan or this year is going to be a disaster for the Texans. So I'll go Deshaun Watson.
3: Okay, I like that. Um, I'm going to go – well, you know, I'm just going to connect the dots to what I just said. And now I'm going to go to Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, yeah, I mean – The Jets take Zach Wilson. I think there's a good chance with the fact that it's Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala that Sam Darnold could go to the 49ers, right? So I'm going to say Garoppolo now is a new starter somewhere else uh, at some point during the year. And I don't know if that involves a three-team trade or just a separate trade altogether, but I'll go Jimmy Garoppolo as my my second peck here. And I have no inside info or any crap about that okay i just we're doing a draft then there we go i
2: i just don't know who else would I make know. garoppolo their starter other than the patriots I think maybe the, the houston patriots texans could. well maybe and and my next one's going to be cam newton because i agree with his assessment that there aren't 32 quarterbacks out there better than him so ipso facto he'll be starting for someone other than the pa- oh you boy now i think if he he's got a chance to start for the patriots so i'm going out on a limb here to say cam newton but i think one way or another he's going to be starting for somebody this year
3: yeah i hear you there i mean cam's on my list too i expect him to be with the patriots uh i do but um yeah i hear you i think there's still a chance that could be somewhere else as well and i agree with what he said too uh, my last one I- i'm i'm uh, i'm going to go with russell wilson i'm going to take it I don't know. You know, again, I know the chances. This is a fun draft. Uh, The chances are probably slim. I don't know. But I do think, feel, know that it's over in Seattle. So maybe at some point they just go, well, okay, we know it's over next year. So let's just get it over with right now and move on and start building for the future.
2: I'm going to go with my last pick to Jameis Winston. Um, Because, again, there are so many unsettled quarterback situations out there. And I, I think that that it would be not all that difficult for a team that's in need of a quarterback to convince itself that they can get the good out of Jameis and minimize the bad. And uh, Sean Payton praising the guy, and if he decides, well, you know what, Taysom Hill has at least an inside track and the Saints don't have the money to pay me, I'm a free agent, someone else is offering me more, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, if the Seahawks move on from Russell Wilson, they need a starting quarterback. And I'm not saying they would rush to Jameis, but at least he'd be on the list. This idea that the Seahawks can only trade Russell Wilson to a team that would trade a quarterback back to yeah, them, right. is a little it's a little bit goofy because there are other ways to fill your need. You can't just say, well, we're only going to trade him to a team that has a quarterback that we want. Well, then you're never going to trade him. So... I just think there'll be an opportunity for Jameis out there somewhere.
3: Yeah, there could be. I know, I mean, I, was, I thought about Taysom Hill just because of that aspect and maybe something like that, you know. Tua was on my list as well as a guy that maybe he's somewhere else. If the Miami Dolphins do get Deshaun Watson, maybe Tua ends up in Houston. So uh, all possibilities. It's, it's a fascinating year as far as the quarterback's concerned. i concerned. I'm excited to see where it all goes and flushes out here over the next five, six weeks.
2: I thought about Drew Locke, too, but I don't know where he would be the starter next yeah, year. Yeah, right. It's amazing how that right. star has kind of fallen for him.
3: Yep. No, it's uh, it, uh, he would he would scare me to trade for. That's for to be a starter, definitely. There is some talent there. We know that, but as we discussed during the year, it's just too loose, too many aggressive, overly aggressive decisions, and doing things like that. It's a big year for Drew Locke If he's still the guy in Denver, he's going to really have to hone it in and play smarter football if he wants to survive as a starting quarterback in the NFL.
2: And the other thing to remember, there could be three, four, five, maybe six rookies who get plugged into the lineup right away somewhere, which would take spots away from veterans. All right, quick break. We'll wrap up this Thursday edition of PFT Live right after this. Browns GM Andrew Barry told reporters yesterday that the Carson Wentz contract not necessarily a cautionary tale for them. Now, Wentz and Jared Goff, guys who were signed to, three, uh, to big contracts after three years in the NFL, Baker Mayfield has three years in the NFL, said, Barry, maybe it's a stretch to say that's going to serve as a cautionary tale or any type of blueprint for us. Chris, look, I, I think that it is a cautionary tale. I think it is a warning. You better be damn sure about your guy. Or you could regret it in a year or
3: two and do a Brock Osweiler hot potato trade to get him off your books. Yeah, I I mean, Mike, I agree with you. You you definitely got to, you know, you got to feel really confident in your quarterback and that, hey, no, this is the guy. We're confident. We got the right system and support around him. I, I think Baker Mayfield's got over the hump. I expect it to be good play from here on out. I think the system fits him really well. You know, I'm excited to see if Odell and Jarvis Landry are there. And I give Kevin Stefanski a lot of credit. Listen, he—I was not a huge fan of that hire, but he's found the right personnel and st- and and fit for his system, and he did a phenomenal job last year. And so I was proven wrong. Why? Th- but that one, way to go, Kevin Stefanski.
2: The challenge is: Do you pay him now, or do you wait? And If yeah. you wait. And he ends up being a keeper. It's going to cost you more. I That's know. the balance. So it costs right. you less now, cost you more later. But only the Browns know Baker Mayfield as well as they need nice. to know him to make that decision. That's it for today's edition of PFT Live. We'll see you back here again tomorrow morning. See ya.